Father, we thank you for the opportunity one more time this side of eternity to stand in this sacred place and deliver your engrafted word. Move upon us, O oh God, with holy fervor and help us with attentive ears and alert hearts to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. We love you. We're here. We're yielded. We're still. We're listening. And we ask you to touch us and speak to us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. And everybody said amen. amen. A few moments ago, I heard some of you say that God was your best friend. One of the great things about Abraham's saga to greatness was he was a friend of God. And the Bible said he knew God face to face. That's strange because no man had seen God at any time, Jesus said. In fact, the Bible tells us that he dwells in a light that no man can approach into. Now, what does that mean, that God dwells in a light? I was uh, reading that the other day, and uh, Debbie said, well, you know, everybody says that when they're dying, they see a light. And I said, well, I'm glad that whatever light that is they're seeing, that God dwells in a light that no man can approach into. And what that really means is he lives in a glorious, majestic place that is so charged with the presence and glory of God that no creature, not just any human being, but no creature can approach unto the place because His holiness is so pure and His radiance is so powerful and His glory is so sublime that nothing can compare and no one can stand in His presence. Amen. He dwells in a light that no man can approach into. I believe that's in Romans 6 and 16. I didn't put it on the notes, but it just came to my heart. And the Bible said it's part of a benediction that, that Paul is praying. Uh, you, you probably don't pray benedictions like that, that God dwells in a life that no man can approach into. He said, who only hath immortality. Who only hath immortality. Well, now we know that uh, we got a soul that's immortal. What does immortal mean? We'll never die. Athanasia is the word for it, the Greek word for it. it it says without life. It is dead, in other words. So then, what is it that Paul is getting at here by, by saying that God only has immortality? My soul has immortality. No, it doesn't have immortality. It is immortal. Angels are immortal. But the Bible said only God has immortality. There's a difference in being immortal and having. There is only one. Only one and only one. And that is the eternal God who owns immortality. He owns eternal life. And as special people to his heart, he gives us eternal life. That's the blessing of salvation. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that right? Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Life through Jesus. 
God is a person. Isn't that great? God is a person. He thinks. He has intellect. He makes plans. He has purpose. He has emotions. He feels. And there are, what did we say, anthropomorphisms that are about our life and our existence that we attribute to God. In other words, we talk about the hands of God. Actually, God is immaterial. He is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. So if God is a spirit, then God is able to communicate with us spiritually and connect with us spiritually. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's kind of a Pentecostal term, isn't it? In the spirit. In the spirit. You've ever been in a service when everybody got in the spirit? Have you ever heard singing when all the singers got in the spirit? Have you ever been in a prayer when everybody who prayed got in the spirit? Have you ever heard a preacher preach when the preacher got in the spirit? In fact, being in the spirit is one of the most blessed places you can be because God is spirit. And he said, they that worship him must worship him in spirit. Then I wonder how many times we disappoint him when the burdens of our mind and our heart is so great that we don't really ever achieve that place in a service that we could say that we worshiped in the spirit. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Our Father is a person. He is kind. He is loving. He is forgiving. He is full of mercy, full of grace, full of truth. In fact, the Bible said his mercy endureth unto all generations. In fact, his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Because God is from everlasting to everlasting. The Bible says from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He is spirit and he has personality. He is a person, he has personality. He also has feelings and he has emotions. I talked about some of his good emotions, didn't I? Loving, kind gracious, merciful. He also has the capacity to be angry. In fact, the Bible said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What do you think that little assemblage of words there means the terror of the Lord. I don't think that it means that he's all the time just looking for a fight. I don't think that's it. I think knowing the awesomeness of his power, knowing the great magnitude of his authority, 
and his sovereignty, that he is so awesome in his presence that no man can approach into the life that he dwells in, that everyone should know about the terror of the Lord and, and translate that as if that what that means is the awesomeness, the terror of the Lord, knowing the terror of the Lord, the capacity. The Bible said don't fear man who can only destroy your body. But he said there is one who can destroy both soul and body. And that fear, we should fear the one who can destroy both. Wow. I hope I'm not shooting over your head today. Maybe you're just listening real good. Is that it? Knowing, therefore, the terror. In fact, when Jacob got up the morning after, the Bible said, he said, how terrible is this place? Have you read that in your scriptures in Genesis? Where when he woke up after he saw the ladder with angels ascending and descending, going up and down on the, on the ladder, and he, and he had, that, uh, had that great vision and that great dream. And, and when he woke up, he said, How terrible is this place, for surely the Lord hath been in this place, and I knew it not. How terrible. What He didn't mean that was an awful place to be, and it was a punishment, that it was... That wasn't what I meant. He meant awesome. He meant how terrible. What he meant was how full of feeling and how full of atmosphere this place is because an atmosphere like this and a feeling like this and an emotion like this could only be in the presence of our awesome God. How terrible is this place God was in this place, and I knew it not. Our God is a, a, a God who has fierceness toward those that oppose him. There is an enemy that would oppose all that God is and all that God stands for. And because you have aligned yourself with this Father God, Creator God, there is an adversary that is opposed to you because of who you Worship and serve. Amen. You see, so many times Jesus said, don't take these, these attacks of the enemy personal. It's not you. He said, it is the God that is in you that angers what is in them. Come on, boy, you ought to shout a little bit at that one. I let you off the hook there. It ain't you. Praise the Lord. You knew you was right to start with, huh? It ain't you. Jesus says, don't worry about it. He said, if the world hates you, don't worry about that and don't cause that, allow it to cause you any alarm because they hate you because before they ever knew you, they hated me. In other words, the God in you arouses the hatred that is in the hearts of people who don't know this Father that we're talking about. Father, Father, I believe it was Hosea that talked about that 
Father and generating and creating. He said, is it not the Lord that hath made us? Is it not our Father who hath created us? The Father image of God is owing to the fact that in the first century, in the early church in the first century, when they looked at God and heard Jesus, well, Jesus is responsible for this whole nuance of calling God Father. There are very few references in the Old Testament to God as Father. But Jesus woke up all of that when he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, recognizing that a heavenly father is the one who gives us the time, that gives us the days. Give us this day and give us our daily bread. It is our heavenly father who sustains us with material things and clothes to wear, shoes to wear, a house to live in, and food to eat. Our Heavenly Father arranges all that. Give us our daily bread and forgive us. Wow. The one who feeds you has been asked to forgive you. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not. What does that say? That means this Father leads us. Are you led? Or are you just wandering? I said, are you wandering or are you led? There's a difference. Are you led? Are you led by a Father? Is there a father life? Glory to God. Is there a father that's leading you? Yeah. Even in Timothy, he said, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. We've not received the spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. Adoption. Now, God has got a son that was his to begin with. And because he started calling Yahweh Father, then those in the early church felt like they could be adopted because Jesus was telling them that there is a Father in heaven that you know as Yahweh. I call him Father. But through me, you can have access unto the Father and he will adopt you. We have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, Jesus is saying you can call him Father too. Yeah. 
because I've always been his son. I've always been with him. I've always been a part of him. But I've come to this world so that you can become part with him and you can be adopted into this family of God, a child of God, to know him, to know him, to know him as Abba Father. Boy, what a wonderful blessing that is to say, Our Father who art in heaven, my heavenly Father, my heavenly Father, my heavenly Father, my heavenly. The Bible says, He said, it, it, You worry about little things, about where you will go or what you will eat or where you're going to sleep. And He said, do you not know? I love those, those verses that start with, do you not know? It's almost like it's saying stupid. <laughs> do you not know that a sparrow does not fall to the ground without your father? What I used to think is that meant that a bird didn't fall and hit the ground without my father knowing about it. That his omniscience is so great, he knows everything. So then there's nothing, the Bible said, that is hidden from him with whom we have to do. So what I thought that meant, what Jesus was talking about, when a bird falls, he sees it and takes note of even a bird that falls out of the sky. But that's not what that means. It means without your father means it is a present tense thing that he is present when the bird falls. And he not only is present when the bird falls, but he cups his hands. Cups his hands and breaks the fall of the bird. Boy, you didn't know God had been in your backyard, did you? You didn't know those sparrows had a heavenly father that was watching over them. And Jesus said every time one of them falls, the heavenly father cups his hand. When that little bird sitting on that limb shivers and shakes under the winter cold and freezing wind and falls off that limb, your heavenly father reaches down and cups his hands to break the fall of a bird. And he said, don't you know that if your heavenly father is mindful of such minor things as a bird falling from a limb, how much more he cares about you? Don't you know that the lilies of the field grow and they do not toil? Don't you know that the plants and the flowers and the valley, they grow and do not spin? Don't you know that there's a father somewhere that's taking care of tulips and roses and flowers and that heavenly father that, that causes all of that to come to order? He's going to take care of you because he's pledged and committed himself that he will not take his hand off of you until he's finished what he began in you. A heavenly father. 
Oh, praise God. A heavenly Father that watches over you. Vep Ellis was in the hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He'd had some heart issues, and back then they weren't near as advanced. They knew nothing about a stent, knew nothing about several of the technologies that they have now. And his doctor walked into his room in Tulsa and said to him, Reverend Ellis, I hate to inform you of this, but there's nothing else we can do. You're probably going to expire. Vep Ellis, who has written songs you've sung for 50 years, turned his head over toward the wall, and he began to pray like Hezekiah prayed when he received such a message. And as he turned toward the wall and began to pray, God woke a little, a little lady next to the hospital down there in an humble little old house. God woke her up in the morning hours, and she walked out on her back porch, and she started singing, I trust in God wherever I may be upon the land or on the stormy sea. Let come what may, I still can say, my heavenly Father watches over me. I trust in God, I know he cares for me. On the mountain so bleak, or when I'm tossed on rolling seas, though billows roll, he keeps my soul. My heavenly Father watches over me. Hallelujah. Vapilis threw those covers over, started getting up and putting on his clothes. The nurse ran in. She said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going home. He said, I'm starting a church, the Indian Rocks Church of God in Largo, Florida. Hallelujah. For 15 years, he pastored that church. I'm going to tell you, when you've got a heavenly father that watches over you, Sometimes he changes, I said, sometimes he changes the prognostications and the dialysis and all of the things that come along. He can change those things because he takes care of you. Yeah. What about those words? Takes care of you. Takes care of you. Susan, you've got a good guy right there taking care of you, but I want to tell you something. There's one who is mightier than I. Glory to God, there's one who is mightier than any one of us who takes care of us all. His eyes, the Bible said, run to and fro in the earth while beholding the activities of the children of men. And nothing is hidden from the purview of him with whom we have to do. Isn't that great? Nothing is hidden from God. Lord, I... 
I know you probably wasn't there. Oh, I was. Yeah, I was. You didn't hear what that doctor said. Yes, I did. I heard what he said. I was present. I was on the scene. I was right there with you. Not only is he a God who sees and knows and understands, he says, I'll go with you. On the backside of Midian, when Moses saw that burning bush we talked about last Sunday, and the Lord spoke out of that, that bush, and he said, I, I want you to go to, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses, so overwhelmed. Has God ever overwhelmed you? Moses was so overwhelmed. Me? Me? Go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, hey, God told me to come tell you, let his people go. <laughs> overwhelmed, he said, who am I that I should go and tell Pharaoh to let your people go? God said, I'll go with you. Woo! Boy, you missed a good place to run an aisle if you're an aisle runner. <laughs> Whatever you do when you get touched by the Spirit, you ought to be doing it right now. God said, I will go with you. I will go with you. I will go with you. And then he asked, God, I've got to know your name. What did you say your name was? He said, my name is Aye, Asher Aye. What does that mean? It means I am that I am. And it's in the present tense, I am what I am. But did you know I got to searching this last week and I had to ask a Hebrew linguist really about this. I said, isn't that verb, aye, asher, aye, isn't aye a Hebrew verb? And isn't that the imperfect tense? He said, yes, it is. I said, does that mean that it is not yet completed then? It has an ongoingness. You put an I-N-G on it then. I am being who I am being. And it shows that the end doesn't happen yet, so it has future, so it also could be translated, and I will be what I will be. <laughs> I have been what I have been. I am who I am, and I will be whom I will be. Brother, if that doesn't sound to you like we've got an on-time God, I don't need to tell you again that this God that I serve, this God that I preach, this God that I represent, he's God yesterday, today, and forevermore. He will always be our eternal God. Give God some praise in this place. He's the eternal God. The eternal God. He is a God who is transcendent. That means, as we said last Sunday, sits outside of time and space. Wow. Well, one writer said, a day is with the Lord is how many? A thousand. A thousand. 
Could I tell you that God is the same age he was 10 billion years ago? Just think about it. He's the same age. He's not, he's not aged a day since he celebrated his 10 billionth birthday. There is a embedded within philosophy a, a theory about the evidence of proving that the existence of God many, many years ago. Hey, how about this one? 1259 A.D. There was an Italian friar whose name was Thomas Aquinas. And he wrote a five-fold means of how you can prove the existence of God. And it's called causal statements. He used causal statements. He says there has to be one immutable. You know what immutable means? Unchanging. Going to stay like it is, like God. I'm the same. I am the Lord and I change not. He don't change. Therefore, our God is immutable. The Bible said that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Does your soul have an anchor? I said, does your soul have an anchor? My God, can you not understand that your soul needs to be anchored to the rock of salvation? Your soul needs to be anchored beyond the veil, the Bible said. That anchor, it extends beyond the veil. What veil is that? That veil up there at that holy of holies where you can't go where you've got to send a priest and give him payment, give him a lamb, give him a pigeon, give him a dove so that he can go in there and pay for your sins. But our anchor sits beyond the veil because that sacrifice of animals is no longer needed. For every priest standeth daily offering sacrifices which can never take away sin. But this man, but this man, but this man hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. Forever. There will never be another Calvary. Brother, there'll never be another sacrifice. There'll never be another offering because this man hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever and ever. Yes, we're anchored. Our soul is anchored. It's anchored to the person of the Lord Jesus who because of the blood of the eternal sacrifice has gained entrance for us into the holy place that we can go ourselves. Whew. My God, I'm going to have to quit. Can you believe 
that this Father God, this Creator God, who created all things that are, all things, that God, the only way that He could be first cause is if He also is self-created. Wow. Self-generated. Praise God. Because eternity is nothing. But this God, this Father, Creator, God, spoke the Word and all the world came into order raised his hand and planets filled the empty sky. All of creation, the eternal God. But on the sixth day of creation week, the Bible said, and God created man. You see, I told him Wednesday night, come on, Olivia. I told him Wednesday night, God loves to build homes for some reason. He loves to build homes. When his people were wandering out there, Moses got them out there in the wilderness. And bless their heart, they've always had trouble living right. Sent them back into the wilderness for 40 years because they got over to Kadesh Barnea and God said, go in. And they sent some spies. They said, well, God, we better get some, uh, some of the folks we know better than we know you to go over there and take a look at that place. And here come the spies back. How many? Twelve. Twelve of them. And two of them was, thank you, Sunday school teacher, Joshua and Caleb. And so 10 of the spies said, that is a terrible place. My gracious, the people that live there, they're fierce. They're warlike. They're skilled in fighting and killing. There are barbarians there. And they rob and they steal and mutilate. And their cities are walled. So big, there's no way you can impregnate their cities. It's an impenetrable thing. You can't beat them. Oh, yeah, there's, there's fruit. These, these guys here brought some fruit back. But, brother, there's no way that we can take that, that land. Has God ever given you something and you stood there like a calf looking at a new fence and new gate? Well, I don't know. What in the world? I hear God say, what in the world have you been praying about? Here it is. It's like that guy hanging on that cliff with that helicopter coming by, isn't it? Y'all don't know that joke? God said, I sent you a helicopter. I sent you this. I sent you that. I sent you that. Not a very good comedy people today. Ten of them said, we can't do this. Two of them said, oh, Joshua and Caleb stood up. Now, now all you senior adults, perk up. 
Caleb is 85 years old right now. What's going on? And Caleb steps up and he says, yes, we can take that. In fact, I've already picked out a mountain that I personally am going to take myself. Whoo, I wish I had some 85-year-old Caleb's that would tell me they, they would climb the mountain. Praise God that whatever the task was, that whatever lay before us, amen, I'll, I'll try that, I'll do that, amen. They made up in their minds, Joshua and Caleb, they said, we are well able, yes, yes, we are, uh, they're, they're fierce, they've told you the truth. We saw the same place they did. We just got a different attitude than they did. We are well able to take that land. God will deliver that into our hands. We will take that land by the grace of God. We'll do it. And I wish you'd put some names on those ten so I could shame them in front of all of y'all. They all were saying, well, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. Now, it's not enough for somebody else to think you're a grasshopper. But when you think you're a grasshopper yourself, that's pretty bad stuff. They couldn't go in because, because of their unbelief. And the Bible said they hardened their hearts against God. And the Bible said, and God turned them back into the wilderness to wander 40 more years. Why? Because he said that generation's got to die out. That generation has got to die out. 40 years, I'll bring you back. And we'll try this again. How many churches, are y'all ready for this? How many churches today have been led to the door of opportunity and said no? And God sent them back in the wilderness and they're wandering in the wilderness today because they wouldn't go in. I want to tell you, God... Never, his calling is without repentance. When God has a destiny for you and God's got a purpose and God's got a plan, best thing you can do is sign up. Say, yes, sir, Lord, I'm ready to go. Amen. I'm ready to be what you want me to be. I'm ready to say what you want me to say. This church had a great lady in its, in its history. A teenager in her late teens was praying, and God said, I want you to be a missionary. She had no visible means of being a missionary. Her first move, Larry, was to go up to Cleveland and get their backing. Boy, she learned that lesson pretty quick. She went up there and met with the mission board, and the mission board said, we can't do that. Lord, you're a teenager. You're going to go over there across the ocean and be a a missionary in a foreign country? You've got to be kidding. We, we, can't, we can't back you in that. Next thing you know, O.V. Sewell has got her in his car, taking her to the train station to go to Miami, Florida. And God told her, he said, there'll be someone to meet you when you get to the airport and she's going to go with you and when she got to the airport there was the lady that walked up to her and she said are you Margaret Gaines she said yes I am 
She said, I'm supposed to go to the mission field with you and said, we're supposed to go to Tunisia. Praise the Lord. How in the world does a little old chocolate road woman wind up in Tunisia? My heavenly Father watches over me. You see, if he's got a plan and a purpose for you, the safest place you can be is in his will. I said the safest place you can be is in his will. The most blessed place you can be, the happiest you can ever be is in his will. In his will, in his plan, in his purpose, doing what he wants you to do, being what he wants you to be. That's the greatest thing you can do. Amen. Wow. Got those people out in that, that wilderness, and God said, Moses said, I think I'd like to have a house out here. Moses said, a house? Why do you need a house? He said, we're going to call it the tent of meeting. It's going to be the place where we get together. Going to be the place where we all congregate. And said, build it this way and this way and put this tribe here and this tribe here. This is the way I want you to build it. You might, might say uh, they had to move that tent around a good bit because God's presence moved back in those days and you had to follow it. So you might say God's the first one to ever have a mobile home. Oh, shit. Can you believe? And God met with them and met with them and then he decided to get one a little bit more permanent than that. So he decided, I'm going to build me a house, a permanent house, where people can come and gather together where we can have Day of Atonement, where we can have Day of Purim, where we can have feast days and Pentecost and all the, the tabernacles, all the feasts that we have. And he said, David, you, you sure are a, a fine king. You've done a great job. Boy, you're a great, great warrior, but you're bloody. You're too bloody to build me a house. But he said, what I want you to do is I want you to, to put up some some timbers and uh, find, find some stones and get the materials together because I'm going to let Solomon build me a house. So David worked and finally died, the Bible said, having served his generation. Hope we can say that. And Solomon started building God a house. Well, then the Chaldeans came in 539 and destroyed the house tore the temple down, desecrated the temple, took the captives off into the exilic period, and they stayed for 70 years. Jeremiah, Ezra, you know that whole story. And at the end of the 70 years, God brought them back, and they had the reconstruction of the temple to try to build it back. So the one we saw when we were over there was Herod the Great's temple, Don. It wasn't Solomon's. It was Herod the Great's. And then finally God said, I want one more house. And in 2 Corinthians 6 and 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of the living God? You mean God has got another place to live? Yep. 
You mean God doesn't live in those temples anymore? Paul said, He dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as if he needed anything, Paul said. Praise God. Our God lives in our heart. Amen. Know ye not that you're the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will walk in them. And I will dwell in them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them? God's still saying, come out from among them. God's still asking his people to be distinct, identifiable. God's still saying, come out from among them and be separate, saith God, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be a father unto you. I'll be a father unto you. And you will be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Boy, that Father God has got sons and daughters who are indwelt by the great God. Mm. I heard some old wetback say back yonder somewhere, was God in that? Well, maybe he wasn't, but if I keep doing it long enough, he'll get in it in a minute. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Well, I'm so glad I'm a part, sing it with me, of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Sing it with me. Oh, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Aren't you glad you're part of the family today? Aren't you glad that your heavenly Father is watching over you? Amen. Amen. You know, churches all across America are in a dilemma today. There's a trend that's in our culture right now, away from religion, away from a God who cares and who loves. There's a prevailing thought in our country, who needs God? And we've come to a time where we act as if we don't need Him. There's a feeling and a opinion in our culture that God's Word is not necessary. We have congressmen who are making speeches and saying we don't really care what the Judeo-Christian opinion is about that. We're not here to consider the Bible. We're not here to hear scriptures or word of God. We're here to legislate 
And we're here to govern. We're not here to do any business with churches. Let me tell you, you're inviting terrible trouble upon yourself when you try to push and shove God out. That Bible that I preach out of, it says, blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. That book that I preach out of says, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. That book says, and I saw the dead, small and great, turned into hell with all nations that forget God. Listen to me, friends. When this nation or any group of people turns their back on God and acts as if they don't need Him, you better look out because calamity and destruction and catastrophe is on its way. We read in this book that there's a tribulation period that's coming. And I see those tribulation clouds gathering already. That storm is already brewing. All around you, you see the signs of that coming. You say, Pastor, you're scaring me. I don't like to hear those kind of dispensational things. Well, if it scares you, you need to pray this morning before you leave. Because the Bible said when you see all of these things happen, and you hear these broadcasts, and you hear these opinions, and you see these newspaper articles, and you see these speeches made by prominent people railing against God. When you see that, the Bible said, lift up your head and rejoice, because your redemption draweth nigh. Your mama used to sing, this old world has been a wilderness. I'm ready for deliverance. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I'm telling you, it's about time for God's people to leave this place. Say, I don't like that escape theology. It's not escape theology. It's plan of God. He said, if I go away, I will come again. And I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also. That's the plan of God. And no matter what your legislator, how powerful your arsenal is, you can't out-legislate God. You can't out-legislate God. Oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of the saving grace. Thank you, Lord, for your power that I feel in this house this morning. Thank you for the spirit of the immutable, immortal, eternal, sovereign, creator God. I praise you and worship you because of who you are. Thank you, O oh Lord, for breathing into the breath of Adam who became a living soul. Thank you for creating every one of us. It is thou that hast made us and not we ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, to be the sheep of your pastor. And we know the shepherd's voice. And we will not follow another. I ask you to go with us from this place of worship out into the world to be light and salt so that we can make a difference and be a representative of our great God. That's our prayer in departing in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. amen.